Welcome back. I've got my monthly guest, Dr. Christine Hyde, today, and she is the founder of the New Jersey Center for Sex Therapy and has been a practicing sex therapist for over 26 years. And today we're talking about Fifty Shades of Grey, the basics of kink. So, Dr. Hyde, what is kink? Well, it's basically a nonconformist erotic interest, and it can range from anywhere from a fetish to bondage and discipline, sadomasochism, to anything that's alternative and not considered a mainstream sexual interest. So it's a really broad brush uh, in terms of what it encompasses. It's a lot of things. Okay. And um, do a lot of people engage in kick activities or, you know, do you have percentages? Sure, sure, sure. I have some, some good statistics. So I, I really evaluated a lot of a broad spectrum of different statistics to find which are the most science-based and the most credible. And what I found is upwards of 40% of all Americans do engage in some form of kink. So 29% of those individuals are doing role play. Uh, About 34% of those individuals are participating in what's called bondage and discipline, sadomasochism, uh, on a regular basis. So what we call a regular basis is at least once a month. 36% percent of those individuals have a specific kink or a specific fetish. A fetish is something that is a particular thing, an object, or a part of the body, or something that's important to you that you actually need or prefer for arousal. So that's what a fetish is. I want to definitely define that. And Mm -hmm. the most common um, sexual kink is sexual toys. So using some form of sex toys is actually the most common kink that that, um, Americans have. I really studied Americans. Um, In terms of nations, um, the kinkiest nation is actually the United Kingdom and also Japan. So what we find is that cultures that have a tendency to be more restrictive sexually or have more rules and boundaries or more uh, a greater sense of what is proper and correct are more likely to uh, delve and uh, have fetishes because it's sort of an escape from that in the privacy of your of your home or in the privacy of your sexual life based on your descriptions of what kink is I would have actually assumed that a lot of people participate in some version. I mean, not. I mean, maybe a higher percentage than than the numbers well, that you're stating. Well, remember, whenever we have science or a report or a research study, it's based on a on a sample, right? Mm-hmm. So many, many people, because unfortunately, um, there's still a lot of shame and embarrassment and discomfort about Mm -hmm. having a kink or feeling kinky about certain things that people don't disclose it. And what Mm -hmm. I find, especially in my practice, is people don't even disclose it to their primary partner, to the person that they supposedly feel most comfortable with. Mm. Could you talk about maybe why couples might want to explore kink if like, you know, Individually, they might be interested, but they're not sure, but why they might bring it out or what's attractive about kink for uh, two consenting adults. Sure. So, 
kink is really adult sexual play, right? It's finding something that you enjoy that may not be so ordinary, that's a little bit novel, that's different, um, that could be exciting because it's not something we do every day. It's kind of like your Michelin star restaurant where, you know, it's a special occasion. And for other people, it's not just a special occasion kind of activity. It's something that's more mainstream in their everyday sexual life. So there's a really broad spectrum of people who practice kink. Some practice it very occasionally. And on the other side of the continuum are people that practice it in what we call 24-7. So literally, it becomes completely integrated into nearly all aspects of their life. Are there any prerequisites or requirements if, to engage in kink? Absolutely. It's critically important that you and your partner or partners have excellent open communication. And what does that mean? You have to talk about what activities you want to participate in, what are your boundaries within those activities, and also what are your hard limits or even your soft limits. In addition, they're always, absolutely always, without exception, needs to be clear consent. And it's very important that you that you absolutely prioritize the safety and the emotional comfort of the person you're playing with or the, the person that you're trusting to play with you. And lastly, I think it's critically important that you negotiate what you're going to do for the great most part in advance. So what I would say is People who really practice kink pretty regularly have the best sexual communication of pretty much anybody that I work with because, because kink can at times be considered what we call edge play or there's a certain level or certain degree of danger potentially, there's a certain degree of um, physical, you're physically in a compromised position, for example, if you're tied up. You have to make sure that there's good circulation. You have to make sure the person can, can move their arm at the end of it. You have to make sure that you're not tying down major organs. So there's a really quite a bit that goes into negotiating. Hey, what do you enjoy? How do you enjoy it? What are your limits? And also, you know, what you'll often hear joking, people joke about is what's your safe word, right? What's that <laughs> word that kind of puts a limit or a stop or a slowdown or an ease to the play scene? And when you engage in kink, the particular compartments of a session of kink, it's called a scene. Um, so that's just a little educational piece. I want to make sure I understood this correctly. Um, from I think I'm just still grappling with when you were describing the beginning. So kink is essentially anything that's not the way we think of in a movie as just like straight conventional sex. Like you're kissing, you have sex, it, you know, whatever yes. missionary style or whatever it is. Yes. So it involves toys or more a focus on, you said, uh, to get turned on a certain body part or some other thing that's not in that traditional stereotype. Yes. And we can talk about some different kinds of kink too, to kind of explain what the, what many of the different kinks are that might uh -huh. also help, um, elucidate what I'm talking about. Right. So yeah. when you, when we, the very, very popularized movie, 50 shades of gray, 50 shades of gray really depicted what's called a BDSM relationship. And that stands for bondage and discipline 
dominance and submission and sadomasochism. So bondage is literally restraining someone, okay, holding them down or having them pinned where they're immobilized. That's what bondage is. Um, discipline is essentially there's some sort of punishment or potentially impact, or you're in a compromised situation where you're going to receive some sort of physical um, touch that may be uh, strong and impactful. Dominance and submission refers to someone being the dominant or the top, okay, or the submissive or the bottom person. Um, and it's a power dynamic. So a lot of kink, not all kink, but a lot of kink has a lot of power dynamics. Someone is sort of in control and someone is consenting to let go of their control. Now, I would argue the submissive or the bottom is always in control because at the end of the day, everything is negotiated and the bottom is receiving what they're asked, what they've asked or requested. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then sadomasochism, a uh, sadist is someone who enjoys inflicting some sort of pain or discomfort consensually. And masochism is someone who enjoys receiving some sort of discomfort. So that's often one that a lot of people can't comprehend. It's like, oh, I, I hate pain. I don't understand why anybody would see it as pain, pain as pleasure. Um, pain is abusive. And I would say none of this is abuse. Abuse does not have consent. Abuse doesn't have a negotiation. Abuse doesn't have open communication. Abuse is not pleasurable. Um, so this has nothing to do with abuse, although people can sometimes confuse it as abusive and should not be, okay? Mm -hmm. So the person who submits consents for the person who is dominant to sort of take charge. And that is the role play. The role play is there's a person who's on top and a person is on bottom. And that's those are the agreed upon roles. Some people identify as tops or dominants um, or masters. Some people um, describe themselves as bottoms or submissives or slaves even. Okay. And these power dynamics find each other and come up with an agreement as to how to play for their mutual sexual gratification. But I go back and said, I began the conversation by saying, people don't often understand how can pain be pleasurable? That doesn't make sense. So what I will tell you is that most human beings have had a really horrible mosquito bite. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's so itchy. And it feels so good to itch, 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 itch. And before you know it, you've literally broken skin and there's a little bit of blood. But yet that felt so gratifying and so good, even though literally you've, you've eroded the, the surface of your skin. That would be an example of the pleasure pain. Also, the frontal lobe amygdala the wires kind of cross, and sometimes pleasure is perceived as pain, and pain is perceived as pleasure, which is super common for many, many humans. Mm. As you were describing all that, I was, I was thinking about how what happens in someone's daily life, I can see how this is an escape of sometimes even the opposite. There, there was another show called Billions where the... Yes main character. I think he's the attorney general. He's always in control. And then in his private life, 
He wants yes. to be dominated because it's just a complete release of control. Right. So yeah. role play, the the joy and the pleasure of role play is the ability to to not be yourself, the ability to mm-hmm. not be in that heavy role that you may have every day. Or mm-hmm. the opposite may be true. You're in a role where you're virtually powerless all day long at your job. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You want to escape and you want to feel control and power and virility and intensity. And this sort of sexual play allows for that. And also there are many, many individuals who identify as switches. And switches a switch is a person who can kind of navigate between the two roles and actually enjoys both roles, maybe very similarly, or maybe just a little more than the other. But there are many, many people who are also switches. Now, these uh, examples are making me think of a question is, can kink be therapeutic? Absolutely. Kink can be therapeutic for lots of individuals. One, it's a form of play. So it's a release. Two, because of its... um, intensity and its novelty and its taboo, it releases a tremendous amount of endorphins and adrenaline and dopamine and norepinephrine and all these great feeling hormones that can be really therapeutic to the body. For many people, it's one of the primary ways in which they choose to relax. So they're actually able to release and relax their bodies when they're playing in these modalities. Um, Even in the cases of trauma and sexual abuse, sometimes people taking on a role, not as a perpetrator or a victim, but as someone that's empowered and comes from a place of strength, they can work through sometimes their abuse issues through the play and through the acts. So what used to be thought of, and unfortunately sometimes is still thought of, as sexually shaming or embarrassing or weird or different is actually significantly more mainstream than people actually talk about. Mm. So what prevents people from exploring their kinks? Shame. Shame is the number one reason people don't explore their kink. And what does that mean? It means I'm embarrassed to enjoy what I enjoy. I'm embarrassed think about the things that I like that I think are weird or peculiar. And Mm -hmm. why does that matter? Because I'm going to be with someone, I'm going to be vulnerable, I'm going to share this, and I'm going to be ridiculed, or mocked, or belittled, or someone's going to tell my secret, or someone's going to basically tell me I'm very weird, or different, or broken. Because Mm -hmm. I like what I like. Mm. So where would somebody start uh, if they want to start exploring their own kinks? So if you have a primary partner or a person that you that you feel emotionally safe with, I think you first need to evaluate how strong is your vanilla or your non-kink sexual relationship. Are you able to communicate what you enjoy? Are you able to give your partner some direction as to what you prefer? Are you able to say, no, thank you. I really don't like that today. Or no, thank you. I really don't want to have sex right now in whatever form that is. If you're not able to have a relatively clear voice with a partner that you're comfortable with, it becomes particularly difficult to share a kink because that's at a whole other level of what I'm going to call vulnerability. 
right? You're, you're not likely to be ridiculed for wanting some kind of vanilla sex that's mainstreamly accepted, but you might be taking a chance on someone's response to your kink. I think the first thing to really, really always, always remember is that you are not broken. You are not alone. There are millions of other people that enjoy your kink. And at the end of the day, you're allowed to feel the pleasure that you want to feel, right? We just need to make sure it's not illegal. It's not non-consensual. Mm-hmm. And it's something that your partner wants to participate in. If I have to coerce you or convince you or beg you or plead with you, that's not consent. So if your partner's like, please, 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 I just want to use the handcuffs and they're riding you and they're riding you and they're riding you, that is not consent. Having a discussion, explaining why you enjoy things. And you may not even know why. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Tina, a lot of people will come in and say, I feel so messed up. There's this thing that I like that I think nobody else in the world likes and I don't know how to bring it up and I don't know how to talk about it. And they'll say to me, where did this come from? Like, how did, how did this happen to me? I just want to be normal. I just want to not have this thing. And what I tell, what I tell the individual is there are two ways to develop kink. And some people have one way, some people have the other, and some people have both. One, we have found that there's a huge genetic link to kinks. Oh, I would not, I would assume it was had been from experience yes. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I had a patient. I saw essentially what was the grandparent who mm-hmm. had a cross-dressing fetish. Mm-hmm. Then I saw the son who didn't know that the grandparent had seen me, who also had a cross-dressing fetish. And mm-hmm. then I actually saw the teenage son of that individual. So essentially the grandson of the original patient who also had or has a cross-dressing fetish. So none of these individuals knew about the other. And what we find as sexologists is that there is often a huge genetic link. So if you have a kinky uncle, aunt, grandparent, great-grandparent in the, in the food chain, there's likely to be somebody that trickles down that is also kink. And by, by what we see in the numbers, many people are kinky. Right. But Mm -hmm. what's interesting is sometimes it's super specific to the type of kink. So if someone likes impact play, impact play might be sensual spanking or striking with an implement and the sexual arousal from erotic punishment. Those kinds of things may get passed down. You might find, oh, go ahead, kind of slap me a little. That kind of feels kind of good, right? Or if you have a parent who's voyeuristic, that means you enjoy watching others. You know, many people who who watch porn would not necessarily think of themselves as voyeuristic, but literally you're watching other people have sex and enjoying that. That's voyeurism, mm-hmm. right? Or exhibitionistic, like, oh, it was always so exciting when we'd be in the car and like maybe somebody would see us, but they probably wouldn't, which by the way is illegal. So please do not do this. <laughs> but teenagers do this a lot. It's sort of this edginess of, oh my gosh, we might get caught. Oh my gosh, we might be seen, right? So that's also more exhibitionism. 
Um, there's all kinds of um, power dynamics that people enjoy. Age play. I'm going to pretend to be the daddy. You're going to be the little girl. That is not pedophilia. That is not acting out pedophilia. It's consensual role play for the the fun of playing these power dynamics, right? Mm -hmm. There's cuckoldry. These are individuals who enjoy watching their partners enjoy sex with other people. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they enjoy watching. Sometimes they just enjoy hearing the details of it. And there's almost a pleasure pain component. It's like, oh, I'm jealous and I feel threatened, but it's super hot, but I'm kind of jealous, but it is kind of hot. So it's the sort of both sides to the same coin. So yeah. people people enjoy all sorts of interesting things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people enjoy um, gags. People enjoy, you know, what's actually been more popularized, which I find somewhat actually it's actually dangerous is choking. So if you watch a lot of mainstream pornography today, you'll see a lot of choking scenes. Mm-hmm. It's questionable if it's really consensual because you don't see the negotiation in the pornography. And it's so mainstream that what I find now is when I hear from from young girls in college and I ask about, tell me what the sex looks like. I can't tell you. I have to say at least 80% of these girls have had boys put their hands on their neck and attempt to kind of gently squeeze or squeeze hard. And they were kind of taken aback because... What are you doing? Like, I, I don't I don't necessarily like this. But yeah. when pornography is the primary sex educator and you're yeah. mimicking the pornography, these are some of the behaviors. So that's an example of non-consensual kick. Yeah. So the, since there's so many different ways to, I guess, be kinky. Yes. How does one discover new new things? Like I, I know there's you're going to have certain inclinations, but then there might be something else that you don't know you like. Is it just about experimenting all the time? It's a little bit about experimenting, but what I will tell you is in a positive way, not in a negative way, it's often a slippery slope, right? So you might start with, okay, so we're having sex from behind and your partner gives you a gentle tap on the butt. It's Mm -hmm. gentle, it's not painful, it doesn't hurt, and you're kind of a little surprised, like, huh, that kind of felt kind of weirdly nice. Uh I wish he or she had gone a little harder, right? Mm -hmm. So it might start with an accidental, an accidental um, kink, right? Mm -hmm. Or, or, you know, your hair is all in your face, and then your partner takes your hair, kind of twists it and holds it for you. And you're like, oh, Oh, he or she is pulling my hair a little. I I don't seem to mind that. That's kind of enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So it's are you brave enough to say, you know that thing that you kind of did a little bit the other day, ever so gently? I wouldn't mind if you went a little harder, or I wouldn't mind if you were a little stronger. Or, you know what? I wouldn't be opposed to wearing a blindfold, or I wouldn't be opposed to you holding my hands behind my head. So Mm -hmm. there's a gentle kind of playful way to bring it up. And then if your partner in turn, hopefully also enjoys that it works out. Now, to be fair, sometimes in my office, I see two people who are submissives and they're both submissives. So no one's getting their submissive action in because they're not really kind of playing that role, the dominant role for the other partner. So Mm -hmm. some of the negotiating I do is to help them play the role of the dominant and kind of take turns so they can both enjoy the submission. 
right? Mm -hmm. I'll do the same with two dominant partners if they're able to switch. Not everyone's able to switch. Some people are like, nope, I'm completely submissive. I don't have a dominant sexual bone in my body. And other people are like, nope, I'm totally dominant. I do not have a submissive bone in my body. And that just needs to be respected. And we Mm -hmm. kind of talk about what do we do instead? Do we watch kinky um, pornography? Do we go to kinky classes? There are kinky classes. Do we go and learn from kinky videos that are educational videos? There's a company called Kink Academy where you can literally learn how to do your kink properly. I'm a huge proponent of practicing kink, but practicing it knowledgeably because Mm -hmm. it's edge play, because you can hurt or injure someone depending on the level or degree in which you play, I feel like really being knowledgeable, really being, um, really having a great understanding and almost becoming your own expert in a particular kind of play is really useful. Blindfolds are pretty regularly used. People will often say, I'm okay if you blindfold me. Or people will often say, we can break out the handcuffs because it's pretty much at every Spencer Gifts. It's very easy to come by. It's one of the top gag gifts for bachelor and bachelorette parties, which kind of demonstrates a little bit of the degree of what we call acceptable or mainstream kink, right? But there's all kinds of kink. There's temperature play kink. There's people that play with hot wax. People play with ice cubes. If you watch, um, I'm dating myself, but if if you watch- Nine and a half weeks. Nine and a half weeks. (laughs) Yes. There's there's ice cubes. Mm -hmm. um, There's blindfolds. Mm -hmm. There's floggers. So I actually brought a couple of floggers today just to kind of show you what a flogger is, right? Okay. So a flogger is an impact um, toy. Mm-hmm. And it kind of looks like this. This is what a flogger looks like. Oh, so it's it's um, got a leather like handle. A whip. Mm-hmm. It's a whip. Yes, it's a whip with tails. Yeah. Depending on what this is made of, it's soft. This is made of elk, so it's very soft. They make vegan versions for people who don't want any kind of animal um, mm-hmm. affiliation. Um, so, and if you hit this, it's considered what's called thud, a thuddy impact. Mm-hmm. You can kind of hear it. Yeah. It's not really painful. If the edges were cut more, it would be uncomfortable or painful. Floggers yeah. come in all shapes, sizes, lengths, and materials. I'm going to show you two other materials. One is this one. This one is made of metal. It's made of chain mail almost, okay? Uh-huh. So if you listen to it. So yeah. you might say, oh, my gosh, and it's very heavy, okay? Yeah. It's got a leather handle, super heavy. You might say, oh, my gosh, if you strike someone with this, it's really going to f- fall apart and, like, yeah. hurt. It can. But how this is often used is this is put in a freezer. Uh-huh. This conducts the cold, yeah. and you just sensually place it all over the person's body to help them sort of relax. It's almost like a cold therapy or mm-hmm. you can just tickle the ends of their skin with the tips of the chain. So everything mm-hmm. doesn't have to be brutal, right? It's not everything yeah. about what's the degree of brutality, although mm-hmm. it can be for some people. And this is yet another one. This one is made of fur. So this is super, super soft. Uh-huh. Um, 
and again, this is very sensual. It's it's very much like having uh, a soft coats put up against your skin. So yeah. these are all floggers, but you can yeah. see they're all quite different. Uh, different ways of, uh, I guess, sensual physical play. sensation. Yeah, that's fantastic. Is there anything else you want to leave us with before we... I think when people play, it's always important to keep in mind that you that you have aftercare, right? That after uh-huh. you play and it's pretty intensive or pretty edgy, that you take the time with your partner to take good care of them, to get them some water, to snuggle with them, to put a blanket mm-hmm. over them, to stay. This mm-hmm. is not some kind of um, kind of do and dash. This is not. Mm-hmm. A 15-minute quickie kind of play. This is a play that takes time and interest and encouragement and understanding and that communication. And I just want to give two resources. Um, One is FetLife, F-E-T-L-I-F-E. FetLife is basically the Facebook or Instagram for kinksters. There are millions and millions and millions all over the world of kinky people. And if you have a kink and you want to meet other like-minded people, you will find that every kink you can imagine is in FetLife. Okay. And Mm -hmm. there's another one that's more local. It's the tri-state. It's in the tri-state area. It's called the Eulen Spiegel Society. The and then Eulen Spiegel is E U L E N S P I E G E L Society T E S the Eulen Spiegel Society and every year the Fourth of July in Piscataway, New Jersey, they have a conference where you can learn how to be how to do your kink. So there's all different kinds of kink represented. There are people who are considered experts in those kinks. So that means electrical play, flogging, um, medical play, age play, furries, people who enjoy dressing up as furry animals, um, uh, people who are, I think I said electrical play, there's medical Mm -hmm. play, there's knife play, everything you can imagine in terms of, or many things that you can imagine in terms of your kink is taught during the day at a symposium. And in the evening, they have what's called public dungeon space where you can walk around and observe how people play. So it's an opportunity to watch and learn and also to learn from experts. I love having these two resources. but And the takeaway I'm getting from everything is just like with the vanilla sex, everything is about consent, talking about it, and that's what makes the sex wonderful. Great. The better the communication, the better the openness, the the better the connection. And one last quick thing. Mm -hmm. If you do open up to your partner and your partner doesn't respond in a favorable way, Mm -hmm. I need you to understand it isn't you. I need you to understand it's their discomfort. It's their inability to imagine it for themselves. It's their fear. Mm -hmm. It's their... um, shock. It's their um, thinking outside of the box. This is way too much for them. So I know Mm -hmm. as hard as it is, as it feels very personal about you, if they're not reacting in a positive, favorable way, it's not you, it's them. They're not in that place for understanding it, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. make you wrong or it doesn't make your kink or your fetish uh, something that isn't right or something that you should be ashamed of. It just means your partner is either not ready to hear it, not equipped to hear it, 
or it's just uncomfortable. We have a tendency as humans mm-hmm. to reject anything uncomfortable. So yeah. keep going forward. Keep trying. You're not alone. Yeah. Try not to work through the shame and continue that communication. And have fun. This is all about having <laughs> lots of sex fun. <laughs> Dr. Hyde, thank you so much. And we will be talking again next month. Thank you.